Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 43rd program in this series. I am in John chapter 9 with reference to the healing of the man who was born blind. Now, what had happened was that Jesus was in the temple. He proclaimed to the people that he was God manifested in the flesh. They picked up stones to stone him, and he left. He found the man who was born blind shortly after this, and he directed the man to go to the pool of Siloam to wash off the mud that Jesus made and placed on his eyes. And so I would venture to say, that Jesus found the man within the remote proximity of the pool of Siloam. Otherwise, the man would have to travel a great distance. He was blind. It simply would not be realistic, I don't think, in order to encourage him to go a great distance away from where he was to get to the pool of Siloam. So I'm suggesting that he was within remote proximity of the pool of Siloam, and there was a gate to the city that was near this pool as well. This gate at this time in history was referred to the Gate of the Essenes, but there is a very important historical reference to this gate, to this area where I believe Jesus found the man who was born blind. And this is in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, I'll begin in verse 5. It says, In Hebron he reigned over Judah, referring to King David, seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he reigned thirty-three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. So this is a reference to the gate that was nearby the pool of Siloam. And I do believe that there is a sense of poetry when it comes to this reference, this historical reference to King David. Jesus is there, the son of David. Jesus is the king of Israel. And Jesus heals a man who was born blind, who was probably within remote proximity 
of this gate, and the man goes up to the temple, the holy place, the house of God, and testifies of Jesus there in the temple. And so I could suggest that we do have a foreshadowing concerning what King David did and with reference to what the Jebusites told him about the blind and the lame. But moving forward into the Gospel of John chapter 9, let's focus a little bit more on what happened with the man when he was healed. Now, beginning in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now, as Jesus passed by, and this is in reference to him leaving the temple, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And I explained this in the previous message. Continuing into verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And this is an extension of what Jesus proclaimed previously, just within the previous day or two, with reference to him being the light of the world. And the people would have been able to identify with that phrase because of the ceremony of the lights during the Feast of Tabernacles that just took place the day before. Continuing in John chapter 9, verse 6, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now, I think that when this man washed the clay, the mud, off of his eyes, that it was at that moment that this man was able to see. And this would have been a significant event, not just in his life, but in the lives of the people who were there. When he washed off his eyes and he was able to see, this was the first time he was ever able to see. I can just imagine the first person who he saw, he would speak to them and he would tell them, you are the first person I have ever seen in my life. This man would be very excited about this significant change in his life experience. And he would proclaim. He would speak out. He would tell people, I was blind and now I can see. And there would be a tremendous amount of excitement that would ripple throughout the community because of what has just taken place. In verse 8, therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. And said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went 
and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. So in verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. They brought him effectively up to the temple compound. He went to the temple compound, and this was the path that the procession of priests walked down and up every day for the eight days of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the day after the eighth day, and it is a Sabbath day. It is, therefore, the seventh day Sabbath. All of the people who came to Jerusalem to be a part of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was required according to the Mosaic Law, and they set up their tabernacles in general to be able to have a view of this path between the Pool of Siloam and the temple, so that they could see the priests going down to the Pool of Siloam every day to collect some water and bring it up to the temple and pour it out before the altar every day. This was the ceremony of the outpouring of the water. I explained this in the previous message. And so every day they saw this procession of priests, but now on the day after the eighth day, the last day, no priests would be going down to the pool of Siloam to collect water and bring it up to the temple. They would not be doing this on this day. Instead, what we've got now is we have a procession of people who are going up this path, going up to the temple, And they are going up to the temple because a miracle has taken place. The man who was born blind has been healed of his blindness. And he is going up to the temple to testify before the religious leaders in the community that a miracle has taken place. And because of what the Pharisees taught concerning the man who was born blind, This was a testimony that the Messiah is there in Jerusalem. The Messiah has been revealed. Jesus is the Messiah. And the evidence is that the Pharisees taught that only the Messiah could open the eyes of a man who was born blind because it was a divine judgment. Therefore, the Messiah, the representative of the divine, The divine presence himself was the only one who could set anyone free of a divine judgment. Therefore, we have the testimony of the divine presence there in Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus is the Messiah. And so we have this procession of people going up to the temple in order to present the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah and the entire nation of Israel would have been able to observe and witness this procession of people going up on the day after the great day of the feast when no priests were expected to go down to the Pool of Siloam and back up to the temple. This was an unusual procession. 
This was an exceptional event, and this would have drawn the attention of enough people that word would spread quickly throughout the entire city that this has happened. And so the man will walk into the temple, and all these people will walk into the temple. Now, what just happened was that Jesus was just there. He was there earlier, and he proclaimed that he was God, and they chased him, effectively chased him out of the temple. So he leaves the temple, and he goes and he performs a miracle that only God could do according to their beliefs. And then the man shows up there in the temple and says, Jesus just healed me of my blindness. I was born blind and Jesus just healed me. I am here in order to testify, in effect, that sure enough, Jesus was telling the truth and you chased him out. But here I am. Here I am present in order to testify that sure enough, Jesus is the Messiah. So what did they have to say? In verse 14, this is John chapter 9, verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Now, when they said such signs, they are referring at this moment mainly to this sign. The very sign that they taught only the Messiah could do. And there was a division among them. They said that he does not keep the Sabbath. That's what they said in verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Well, there were three ways that he could have been challenged about not keeping the Sabbath. The first way has to do with the making of the mud or the making of the clay. The second way would have to do with him placing this on the man's eyes. And then the third way would have to do with the fact that he healed the man at all. So let's consider the first way. The first issue that they would have or that they would present against him was the fact that Jesus spat on the ground, or he spat in dirt, and he made mud, or he made clay with his spit. Now, if you were to ask any of the Pharisees there, is it acceptable to spit on the ground and make clay, in effect making mud with your spit, is that acceptable? Is that a violation of the Sabbath law? And they would say, no, that is not necessarily a violation of the Sabbath law, according to the beliefs of the Pharisees at this time. They would say, you can do that. However, there is great risk that you would violate the Sabbath law if you spat on the ground, as an example, 
and there was clay or mud that was made as a result of that because your spit would, your saliva would mix in with the dirt. There was great risk because either you or someone else could walk by and perhaps they could kick a few stones with their feet or with their sandals and these stones would encounter this mud or this clay that was made and they might be bound together. And if that happened, then you will have been guilty. You would be guilty of making building materials. You will have bound two stones together. This would be recognized as doing work. Therefore, you could be guilty of violating the Sabbath law. This is what they taught. And so the solution that they presented because of the great risk of potentially violating the Sabbath law by spitting on the ground, the solution was to spit on a rock instead. That's what they taught. So they could suggest, according to their beliefs, that Jesus did violate the Sabbath law by making mud, either because there could have been some stones that could have been assembled together in this way, or there were some Pharisees who would say that we're just going to call spitting on the ground a violation of the Sabbath law just because of the risk associated with that, which would be consistent with many of the other things that they taught concerning the risk of violating the Sabbath law and other laws, and these became laws themselves that people would follow. So this was the first way that Jesus could have been accused of violating the Sabbath law. The second way that he could be accused of violating the Sabbath law was by placing the ointment on the man's eyes. He made an ointment with his saliva, using saliva and dirt. He made an ointment and he placed it on the man's eyes. And there is a discussion about a circumstance just like this found in the Talmud in Shabbat Folio 108b. In Folio 108b, there is a discussion about making ointment with bread and wine or by using your saliva and placing that on a man's eyes. There is a discussion about this, and one of the concerns was whether or not the ointment would be placed on his eyes or in his eyes. But I'm mentioning this because this is a discussion that could be raised, that could be presented by the Pharisees, and they could very well have accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath law, not just because he made mud, with his saliva, but also this second way because of the way that he applied it. Because of the way that he applied it on the man's eyes, they could have a case against him according to their own beliefs and suggest that he has violated the Sabbath law. And then the third way that Jesus could be accused of violating the Sabbath law was by healing the man. He healed the man who was born blind on the Sabbath day. And according to the Pharisees, and I explained this earlier with reference to the healing of the man who was found at the pool of Bethesda. When Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, this was what they brought to Jesus, was the accusation that he had violated the Sabbath law because he healed the man 
on the Sabbath day. So also he has healed the man who was born blind on the Sabbath day. They did allow for circumstances when a person's life was in danger and you couldn't wait until the next day. But in this case, Jesus could have waited until the next day. He could have healed the man who was born blind on the following day. He didn't have to do it on this day. The man had been born blind. He had lived his entire life being blind. His life was not in danger. Jesus could have waited until the next day. Therefore, this would be the third way that the Pharisees could raise an issue with Jesus, stating that he has violated the Sabbath law according to their beliefs, not according to what Jesus thinks about the Sabbath law. And what Jesus thinks about the Sabbath law does matter. It does have relevance. As far as he was concerned, he did not violate the law of Moses that was given by himself, that he gave to Moses to give to the people concerning the Sabbath law and what they were required to do or not do on the Sabbath day. So again, in verse 16, this is John chapter 9, verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And that's because these three ways that a person could be accused of violating the Sabbath law, these ways were in question. In verse 17, they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? Now, this is a very important question that they are asking him. And how he responds, how he answers this question will have a huge impact on the relationship that he might be able to have with these people. If he answers this question in a way that they don't like, then they could reject him. Now, he's been rejected his entire life. His entire life, he has been told that he is such a terrible, horrible, evil person that God had to strike him with blindness. God had to intervene and make sure that he was blind before he was born. This is how bad this man is. In order to protect society, this was the divine judgment of God against this man. But now this man has been healed and he is going before these religious leaders, these people who the people in Israel respect and, and, and look up to. He now has an opportunity to be accepted by these people by saying, well, maybe. What you said about me was true. But now, God has given me vindication. God has now stated officially and publicly that whoever I may have been before, that is no longer the case now. The living God has now given his testimony that I am a good person that I am an acceptable person 
that from his point of view, I am no longer so evil that he needs to protect society from me now. He has officially declared that I am a person who should be welcomed and accepted within our society and that you should accept me and that you should acknowledge that I have the witness of God that I am worthy, that I am good, that I am no longer this evil person who you suggested I was. So what do you have to say now? What do you have to say about this now? And instead they ask him, well, what do you have to say? What do you have to say about what has just happened? If he states that Jesus is the Messiah, according to their beliefs, according to their definition, according to what they taught, according to what they told him his entire life, that only the Messiah would set him free of this blindness if he says that Jesus is the Messiah, then he's going to be kicked out, then he's going to be rejected, then he is going to be cast out of the synagogue. And I will explain this more in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 43rd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I spoke about John chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, where I gave an explanation concerning how the man who was born blind might have reacted to being healed from being born blind. I explained the significance of him being brought from the Pool of Siloam, or the region of the Pool of Siloam, up the path to the temple, especially it being the day after the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and that it was a Sabbath day. I also explained how the Pharisees would have perceived this miracle as a violation of the Sabbath law, that there were three different ways they could have accused Jesus of violating the law according to their own beliefs. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,